Metamorph City. A podcast series created by Chris Lester. The right side. www.metamorphcity.com Welcome to episode 27 of Wander Radio. Uh, Today we have a discussion interview with Chris Lester from Metamorph City, the Metamorph City podcast, which is a series of short stories and the book, novel length, Making the Cut. I suggest go listening to it. Uh, I've started listening to it and I'm hooked. So please go over and take a listen at www.metamorphcity.com. We also mentioned that he did an interview with John Scalzi for the I Should Be Writing podcast. Uh, interview is now up. I will have a link in the show notes, so if, feel free to come over and visit wanderradio.com, and you can get to it from there. Uh, I have some special announcements at the end of the show. Feel free to hang around. Hi, this is Joe from On The Podcast. And this is Megan, your podcast junkie from podcastjunkie.com. Hey, Joe, tell me about your show. Well, I bring you one feature and one song straight from my iPod, highlighting cool stuff to listen to that I went out and found so you don't have to. What's your show about? Glad you asked. I share the best stuff on my iPod and ask my listeners the question, what are you listening to? Hey, wait, I share the best stuff on my iPod and you highlight the best stuff straight from your iPod. What's the big idea? You stole my tagline. No, I didn't. Let's take a look at your site here. I see you feature a podcaster and then a song. You didn't just take my tagline. You stole my whole show format. No, I didn't. Wasn't I on my 10th show when you started podcasting? Yeah, but I've been blogging about podcasting and music for the last two years before you even picked up a mic. Well, do you listen to podcasts practically every waking moment? No, I have a life. You know anything about music? No, okay, you got me there. I'm musically challenged. Well, do you know anything about audiobooks? Oh, can't wait. I see you kind of specialize in them. I see you specialize in everything from Scott Sigler to Father Roderick. Is there anything that you don't listen to? I think I've got all the genres covered. I see that we both do short format shows. Yeah, I try to keep mine between about 20 and 30 minutes. Me too. Under 20 unless I have an interview. So if you're looking for more good podcasts on every topic under the sun, check out Podcast Junkie Megan at podcastjunkie.com. And if your tastes run more towards music and audiobooks, check out Joe's show on the podcast at onthepodcast.net. There's room on your iPod for both of us. And if there isn't, get a bigger iPod. Welcome to Wander Radio. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Metamore City? All right. Well, Metamore City is a uh, podcast that takes place in a sci-fi fantasy world. Basically, it's an epic fantasy type setting that's been projected into a modern or slightly beyond modern level of technology, assuming that they were still able to hold on to magic and that magic then integrated with tech as both of them evolved together, what kind of world would that result in? So it's a little bit fantasy, a little bit cyberpunk, a little bit noir. Did you listen to Phil Rossi's Crescent podcast? 
I am currently working my way through Crescent. I am, I think, somewhere on episode eight or nine, something like that. I started it, was interested in it, but um, just kind of got caught up in some other things that I was listening to and haven't gone back to it yet. Now, the reason I ask is because it seemed that I saw the you did the same thing that he did. You uh, had short stories to mm-hmm. introduce the world, and, and then you you're going into the novel. Right. How successful has that been? It's been very successful so far. Um, we started Metamorph City uh, towards the end of September, and it is now the beginning of February, and uh, we're up to almost 900 listeners according to today's uh, feed burner statistics. So if I assume that there are some other people who are listening through other means, um, you know, it could be as much as a thousand listeners, which I think is pretty well, pretty good for just a few months. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, considering I haven't broken three digits yet, so we might get you those twelve listeners to get you up over nine hundred. <laughs> but <laughs> the, this concept with magic and technology and undead, <laughs> I, I want to throw that in there. Uh, and psi, don't forget psionics. Psionic. This is taking a lot of mm, meta, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, meta concepts Mm -hmm. that are usually just uh, isolated for one story and throwing them all into a world. I like the idea. It's very, it sounds like it'd be extremely complex. How long did it take to, to develop this world? I started working on, well, First of all, Metamorph City is based off of a epic fantasy shared universe setting that I w- have been writing in since uh, about 1997. Um, I did not create the original Metamorph Keep setting, um, but I did write in it ex- uh, extensively and did a lot to help build that world. And uh, while I was in the process of that, around 1999, I started to think about... Um, possible future directions for the setting, places that the world might be going long term. And that was the um, initial beginnings of what at that point I was calling uh, Metamorph Keep 2000 or MK2K to just think about, you know, what would the world of Metamorph Keep be like in the year 2000. And uh, so I've spent a good number of years working on that um, from about 2000. From 1999 to about 2001, I was just doing world building, just thinking up concepts, talking them over with some of my fellow writers, um, building a database, as it were, of concepts and ideas. Um, In 2001, I started to actually write some stories in that uh, setting a little bit at a time, just a bit here, a bit there, and uh, continued in that all the way up until... Um, about 2005, which is when I started mapping out the outline for Making the Cut, which is the first novel. Um, I started on that outline, worked on it for a bit, left it alone for the better part of a year, came back, worked on it a bit more, left it alone for a while. Finally, in uh, Beginning of well, around Christmas time of 2006, beginning of 2007, I decided, okay, I'm really going to actually finish this thing. 
because I was, uh, you know, at that point getting into listening to podcasts and realizing that this was a good potential outlet for something that had previously just been sort of an interesting thought experiment on my part. So then I started really pushing to finish the outline, finish that at the beginning of May of 2000, and immediately went into actually writing, writing the novel, which I am still working on, but I'm almost finished with it. I've got about five chapters left. Sweet. So you've, you've already started the podcasting the novel, but you're not quite finished it yet. Hopefully you know how it ends. Oh, yes, yes. Like I said, <laughs> I, I did a complete um, detailed outline of the story before I ever started writing it. When I was probably around 50,000 words into it, I had to stop and sort of uh, take stock of where I was and realize that the characters had done some things in ways that I hadn't expected to them to. And uh, at that point, I then had to, you know, kind of change course a little bit. And so the, there were some new plot threads that were woven into the outline at that point. But uh, the basic storyline has been essentially set since May of last year. Is this available at Patio Books yet? No, I'm, I've been invited to Patio Books, but what I'm, I decided to do after thinking about it for a while is I'm going to finish the story in the Metamorphosity podcast first and uh, you know, get it all edited, get a nice you know, finalized version of the novel uh, put together and make whatever changes are necessary to the uh, the audio files at that point. Essentially doing a remastered version, but instead of putting stuff in, I'm just going to be uh, retuning and tweaking and doing all the normal stuff that people do when they edit a novel manuscript. Um, I'm already getting some great feedback from listeners um, to the podcast, which will help to make this a better novel in the long run. And uh, that finished product is what I intend to, to offer to Patio Books. And Chris Miller is already very excited about getting it, but he understands that I want to wait until it's ready. Uh, very, very good. Chris Miller is definitely one good guy to have in your corner on that. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. So you're using this as an opportunity to edit. Are you basically taking a page out of Sigler's book? Well, I know that Sigler's doing the same thing right now with Nocturnal, where he's, you know, in the process of writing it as he's podcasting it. I didn't directly um, look to him for inspiration on that front, but the fact that he was doing it sort of gave me permission to feel good about going ahead with it. I was validating. Yeah, I was originally planning on having this thing finish um, by. Um, you know, October or so, by the end of October, certainly. Uh, I had originally thought that this was going to be about a 100,000-word novel. And I did have about 100,000 words at the end of October, but I am now up to around, well, over 150,000 words, and it's still not quite done yet. So <laughs> it's wow. just, yeah, it's going to be a big story. Part of that is because, you know, some of those course corrections that I made when I was at about the 50,000 word mark were because of new characters being introduced. I had some bit characters in the original draft or characters who weren't even in the original draft who um, sort of showed up because I needed them to accomplish a specific purpose within the, the confines of the story. And once they were there, they started doing things that uh, 
you know, followed naturally from the personality and uh, actions that had uh, sort of unfolded on the page. And it's like, well, I can't force these characters to just sort of disappear. They're going to have consequences and they're going to have effects on the rest of the story. And I also started to realize as I got to know some of my main characters a bit better that uh, they were going to behave in ways that were different from what I had originally anticipated. So I had to take account of that as I was in the process of writing the rest of the book. You've got a full cast doing this story for you, correct? Yes, I do. Um, some of the parts have not yet been cast, but uh, for the first novel, all of the main ones and most of the secondary ones have already been cast. What led to that decision to do that instead of a, just a straight read? Billabub Batting's in the case of the Singing Sword. Flat out, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was blown away by what T. Morris accomplished with that book. It was so impressive the way that he wove together the the vocal cast and the you know the sound effects and all of that stuff and that just you know that sold me that right there plus i have something like a dozen major characters with heavy screen time in this book if i had to come up with voices for all of them i would go insane well, um, some would argue that you already are. <laughs> That's true. I do put on my post that I'm a mad, on my site that I'm a mad scientist in training. So, oh man. So, how did you find all these people to to do this for you? Did you just go out and ask, or did you have open casting calls, or? Well, it started with uh, me approaching Leanne Mabry to do the voice of Morgan for the short story Huntress. Um, I knew that because it was a story that was written in first person from the perspective of a female, that I wanted to have a female actor reading the part. And I knew of Leanne from her work on uh, Billabub and from Tag in the Seam. And uh, it was... It was primarily her role in Billaba Battings that convinced me that she had the perfect voice to play Morgan because the character that she plays in that book um, is also a very um, sensual, seductive, deep-throated sort of, uh, you know, character. And uh, that personality, that, that femme fatale, was kind of what I was looking for for somebody to voice my vampire. So I contacted her through MySpace and uh, let her know that I was um, interested in getting her to voice that part. So I sent her the story, and she liked the story, and she uh, agreed to do it. And uh, once she had done that, she started you know, promoting me out to all of her friends in the potosphere, so saying, you know, watch for this guy. This is somebody that you want to, you know, to keep an eye on because he's going to be doing good things. And... Uh, so I was doing that. I was leaving voicemails for people on uh, different uh, shows, which got my voice out there to other folks. I did. Uh, I showed up at T. Morris's uh, interview, you know, the live call-in show at the end of Bill Above Battings. Um, right. Just uh, little things here and there to make myself known. Twitter has put me in touch with a lot of people in the uh, the podcasting tribe. And uh, so it's not been any one thing. It's just a, a combination of a lot of networking stuff. And then once uh, 
you know, once I'd made myself a, uh, my presence known, just sort of sending messages to people and saying, hey, I'd be interested in having you on my show if you, uh, if this sounds like something that would be interesting to you. And uh, for the most part, you know, I've had some people turn me down, but for the most part, people have been very, very supportive. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. I recognized you from I Should Be Writing, mm. that wonderful interview that you did with Kim Harrison. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was another uh, thing that I did that kind of got my uh, my name out there. It was an opportunity, you know, just kind of popped up that she was going to be at a convention that I was going to, and so I contacted Murr. I had left her some voicemails in the past, and you know, I said, hey, I'm going to be here at this, this con. Do you want me to see if I can get an interview with her? And she said, yeah, sure, go for it. So I posted a message to Kim on her... Uh, message boards. I'd been leaving messages there for about the better part of a year off and on, just kind of participating in the rolling conversation that goes on on her website. And uh, she was interested in doing it, so I showed up at the beginning of the con and came a few hours early and we uh, did the interview and that was that was pretty much that. Well done. Well done. Uh, I, I enjoyed it because I've been listening to I Should Be Writing for well, since it began, and I should be writing, <laughs> but uh, and I will have a link to that interview in the in the show notes. I would also point uh, out that uh, I did do another interview with uh, John Scalzi for I Should Be Writing, uh, and that will be showing up there probably sometime later this month. Merce said it would be a few weeks. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was going to say John Scalzi. I don't remember hearing that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, not out quite yet. Uh, not not out yet, but that's upcoming. Cool. I, I'm looking forward. I'll look forward to it. What do you expect to come from the podcast uh, when you're when you're done with the story? And uh, what are, what are you looking for to 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 occur? That's an interesting question. Um, fame, adoration, and world domination. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sigler's got that wrapped up, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really want to rule the world. As long as I can get one of these guys to, you know, appoint me minister of science, that's fine with me. <laughs> I'd rather be the guy in the lab just doing my experiments for the evil overlord. See, that that's totally, totally cool for me. Um, but seriously, I, I would like to see my work in print at some point. Um, I'm at this point still in the audience building phase, just putting the uh, the work out there, trying to build a brand name, as it were. And right. uh, once the uh, once the novel is finished and I get it edited, I'm going to start looking around to see if I can find someone to publish it. And I'm also hoping to uh, get a series of anthologies. Uh, put out with the, the uh, short stories for Metamore City and kind of package those together with the novel as, as part of a sort of ongoing story arc. I have a big story in mind that is probably going to just ballpark estimate. I'm, I'm saying there's probably a good five or six novels in there before it's all finished and who knows how many short stories. So... Oh. So, you know, just like every other author, you want to be uh, published, which 
makes sense. All right. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. But what made you decide to, to podcast? Or what led to the decision to podcast? Well, primarily it was the... Uh, well, it was, it was a number of things. One, the uh, like I said, Bill of Battings really got me interested in it as a storytelling medium, as something that could be um, not quite as technically detailed as a full-blown audio drama, but more um, immersive than just an audio book. Um, that, that book broke a lot of ground in terms of showing the potential for podcasts uh, for this kind of storytelling. And uh, between that and when uh, Sigler got his big book deal as a result of the Ancestor push on April 1st of 2007, um, that was what really persuaded me that this was not just a bunch of people sort of having fun with a hobby, that this was something that had the potential to um, gain the attention of folks who are looking for new authors. The fact that uh, he was able to take his free podcasts and uh, parlay that into a, you know, a lucrative business venture gave me a lot of hope that um, other people will have the potential to do so as well. I figured that if there's any, you know, if there's going to be a time to do it, to get into this, it's going to be right at that point where um, people like Sigler and Hutchins have shown that the model is successful, that you can get bestsellers out of new media. And once that proof of concept has been demonstrated, I think that you're going to see a lot of additional um, publishers starting to say, well, who else is out there? Who's getting a lot of attention? Who's uh, generating the buzz that may be the next big thing? And uh, I think that that potential bandwagoning effect is something that a lot of us who are putting out our fiction now have the potential to take advantage of if we're in the right place and the right time. And I'm convinced that it's going to be the right time here in fairly short order. Okay. Something that has become pretty much a standard question for those of us that are lucky enough to be interviewed by me (laughs) is... uh, where do you see podcasting in five years? Oh, gosh. That is an interesting question. Um, I'm not a, uh, a futurist in, uh, in general. I uh, would have to say that I am concerned about the push uh, by big corporations and, and news outlets to try to co-opt podcasting. I'm concerned that, you know, when I, I look on iTunes and I see the listings of featured podcasts and, you know, the vast majority of them are these, you know, big con- either conversions of radio shows or other um, mass-produced content. I'm concerned about the potential for podcasting to turn into just another uh, venture where everything has been packaged up and you know prepared for the mass market. I don't want podcasting to turn into another McDonald's type entertainment outlet where everything is, is being run by the big guys. 
the good news is that I think people are increasingly able to detect quality and discern it from BS. And I think that the one thing that these big companies are not necessarily counting on is the social media collaborative mentality. Uh, I just saw an article today on one of the, uh, the big blogs talking about the mafia mentality of social media. The, you know, I do you a favor, you do me a favor. And it's less about money than it is about um, building relationships and connections. And I think that that may be what stops the corporate giants from taking over this particular uh, corner of entertainment is the fact that there is such a low barrier to entry that anybody can, can do this. I mean, I got started with you know, a $300 outlay, and you can do it with less than that. So I think that the, the combination of the low barrier to entry and the fact that people are able to spread the word in a very viral fashion and that um, the p kinds of people who listen to podcasts are not necessarily the kinds of people who just gobble up uh, mass-produced media instantaneously. They, I think there's a potential for a more discerning sort of listener and a, a listener who tends to pay attention to, well, what are other people in the community saying is good versus, you know, what am I seeing that's getting the most advertising? So I think that this is a conflict that has yet to sort itself out, and I think that it may still be sorting itself out over the next few years. But um, hopefully we'll get to the point where if the big companies are still in this five years down the road, it'll be because they've uh, recognized that there's a need to produce uh, quality content and that there's a, a potential for doing things that are a bit off the beaten path, things that you can't get away with on uh, NPR, things that you can't get away with in other sorts of uh, conventional media outlets. And I think if they can recognize that idiosyncratic nature of uh, the podcasting community, that they may be able to uh, you know, maintain their hold in the community, but uh, hopefully they won't be able to completely push out the little independent operators like us because as long as you've got a blog and an RSS feed, you can get the word out about what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, there is nothing to be ashamed with that answer. It's actually very thought-provoking thought and insightful. <laughs> be proud of yourself. Give yourself a pat on the back. Um, thump, thump. <laughs> I can see you. Just remember that. <laughs> You can't see me because I don't have a webcam. Um, anyway, uh, I'll ask you one more question here, and then we'll wrap it up, and I'll ask a few other favors from you. All right. Um, a friend of mine runs the Patio Media Chat, Chris Moody. Okay. I don't know if you've, if you've the name rings a bell. I don't. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I think I've uh, heard of him. Uh, and he has, I'm going to steal one of his questions. If an author has a book <clears throat> collecting virtual dust, as he says, on his hard drive, do you recommend podcasting it? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, you've got nothing to lose from putting your, your stuff out here. I mean, I got started podcasting Metamore City in part because 
the mailing lists that I had been putting these stories out to um, just had had very, very little reaction to it. I wasn't um, playing with the same tropes that most of the, that writing uh, group was interested in, and, uh, or I was playing with them in ways that they didn't approve of. And uh, so I wasn't sure about the quality of this, uh, this stuff. I thought it was good, but it wasn't getting any, any reaction from the main audience that I had. And uh, so part of the reason for deciding to podcast it was to put this stuff out there and see if it would take off with a broader market, if it would have um, more broad-based appeal within the science fiction fantasy listening uh, community. You know, I was not making a dime off of this stuff, and with the Metamore City world being as complex as it is, it's unlikely that I would be able to sell any one of these stories to one of the, the science fiction magazines. So this was a way for me to you know, set up my world and put out my stories in a, a sort of persistent um, content venue where people would know what, they, what to expect when they came for it. And uh, like I said, it cost me very little to get started. I haven't made any money at this yet, but I definitely have got way, way more people listening to me than uh, ever would have been possible if I had just continued putting this stuff out on my little website and distributing it to my little mailing list. You know, that, that mailing list had, has maybe 200 listeners or 200 readers last I checked. Um, might be more, might be less now, but uh, nothing like the close to a thousand people I've got who are actively engaging my content right now. Um, you know, to the person who worries about people stealing their stuff, look, I'm putting this, this, uh, sto these stories out there in uh, a Creative Commons uh, attribution share-alike license. People are welcome to take my stories and write their own stuff based off of it. I welcome them doing fan fiction, doing fan art. Um, you know, if, if my stuff inspires you, take it and run with it. I'm not expecting to make money off of this. It would be nice if I did. But right now, I'm mostly trying to get a brand name and a presence out there. And any person who's out there who is captivated enough by my stuff that they want to go out and write their own stories um, because of the Creative Commons license, they have to tell other people where they got the idea from. And so any content that they create is going to point back to me and it's going to result in more people being engaged with my stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm really not worried about people stealing it. At this stage in my career, um, and probably every stage in a writer's career, anonymity is a much bigger danger than theft. And you just have to realize that you've got to let go of something and let go of your ability to control it in order to give it a chance to grow. If you don't put the stuff out there, nobody's ever going to see it. And you'll have total control over it, but you know, you're, you're not going to be able to uh, see it grow anywhere. You know, if J.K. Rowling had kept her manuscript for Harry Potter on uh, her little notebooks that she wrote it on, you know, she wouldn't have had people out there writing all this 
bizarre fan fiction based on it, so she would have had control over the franchise, but she wouldn't have had her eighty gajillion dollars that she has now either. So, <laughs> or the hundreds of millions of people who are passionate fans of her stuff and are actively engaged with the content, which ultimately I think is the thing that, that writers want. I think that we don't get into this to be thought important. We don't get into this to because, you know, of, of a need to make a lot of money, God knows. Um, I think we do it because we're storytellers and because ultimately we need to, we, we've got something that we need to say and ideas that we need to express that come out in the form of fiction. And if we can capture people's imaginations, if we can get them to be engaged in our stories and, you know, to think about them and to, to wrestle with the, the stuff, you know, the messages in them and to uh, get caught up in the lives of the characters that we've created, that, I think, is the most important thing in the writing experience. Because what is a storyteller without people to listen to them? Wow. Excellent. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll get back to writing then. Um, <laughs> you should be writing. <laughs> I should be. Uh, ISBW.merlafferty.com. Ding! Oh. Well, thank you, Chris, for joining me on Wander Radio and for the wonderful discussion that we've had. Oh, it was my I've pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit as we go where we can find your stuff. Okay. You can find uh, Metamore City Podcast at www.metamorcity.com. Um, you can also, like I said, listen to my interview with John Scalzi coming up soon on I Should Be Writing. Uh, you can hear my voice on uh, Philippa Ballantyne's new podcast novel, Chasing the Bard, where I'm going to be playing the uh, villainous fairy Mordant. That was a lot of fun. Ooh. And uh, that's... Oh, and I'm also on Voices of Babylon, the uh, Babylon 5 audio drama, where I'm playing the Psychor Commander in Season 2. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, that was cool, too. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for coming on to Wanda Radio, and we will be looking for your stuff out there further. Cool, thanks much. They are lost. Attention! Attention! This is Dr. Victor Thies. Stranded. I have been owned on the part of the populace along with several of my cohorts. Trapped a thousand light years from home. We were attacked here by Batman. Over the past weeks, we have assembled this apparatus to communicate with you. Now, someone will come to their rescue. We need your help. Get us off this miserable rock. And it isn't the heroes. When shall we leave? Immediately. On June 11th, 2008, the next Pendant Audio event begins. Vindicatum. A crossover in eight parts. I will brook no interference this time. Vindicatum. The war is coming. It begins in Batman, the Ace of Detectives, issue 29, coming Wednesday, June 11th, 2008, only at PendantAudio.com.
I sighed. No. Why sighed? No. Darn. Damn it. You look a little beat, T. This voice for William Shakespeare is hard to nail. Listen. Sigh. Tis I, Will. We are about to uh, face... to Rafe. All right. Um. <clears throat> Why, Shive, tis I, Will. We are about to fish. Too classic Bond. Also too Scottish. See what I mean? Well, think about it. This is Chasing the Bard, an epic fantasy from award-nominated author Philippa Ballantyne. This is a tapestry. Uh, okay, a tapestry. Yes, a tapestry of magic, light and dark, of intrigue and sex. Sex? Yeah. Okay. I think I got it. <clears throat> Sive, tis I, Will. Oh, very nice. We are about to face our destiny. This may be my last chance to let you know my heart. To ask you what I must know. Do I make you horny, Sive? Come on, do I? I'm William Shakespeare, baby. Yeah, let's go on and get our iambic pentameter mojo on. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you're on to something here. Yeah, Sive. I got your hey, nonny, nonny, baby. Yeah. I'll be hive. Chasing the Bard. William Shakespeare in his own Midsummer Nightmare. And, if I'm not careful, my own. Find out more at chasingthebard.com. Now, boys, behave, or I will be greatly displeased. <laughs> You've been listening to Wander Radio. Tell a friend, or tell a lot of people you don't even know by posting a review on iTunes, one of the many podcast review sites, your blog, soap it onto your car. If you'd like to be a part of the show, contact the host at wanderradio at gmail.com or comment on the website at wanderradio.com. You can also join the Wander Radio news group at groups.yahoo.com slash wanderradio. It's time to hit the street. This has been Disembodied Voices. Disembodied Voices. A new conspiracy. Find out more at www.dvoices.blogspot.com.